Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. In the going to the movies for a living business, there are good weeks and bad weeks, and this week is one of the not-so-good ones, particularly compared to what's going on in the TV streaming area. As shows on Netflix, Neon and Amazon get bigger, films at the cinema seem to be getting smaller. Smaller and more predictable. Smaller, more predictable and, frankly, more repetitive. Sweet, kind. The princess has been the best thing to happen to the monarchy in centuries. Did you get a chance to see her? Yes! Diana is very big news everywhere. She's got the common touch. Did anyone really need to see the story of Princess Di yet again? Well, apparently not. To my surprise, and I'm sure the surprise of the distributors, the public isn't exactly thronging to the documentary The Princess. But they've proved very enthusiastic about a trio of major attractions they can watch at home. The king chose Ramira. The realm will not accept her. Men would sooner put the realm to the torch and see a woman ascend the Iron Throne. Okay, no one's claiming Neon's prequel to the all-conquering Game of Thrones is exactly new, but it's certainly spectacular, based as it is on a book by Thrones creator George R. R. Martin. Just a warning, House of the Dragon is based on another incomplete series like Game of Thrones itself. The producers may have to make up an ending for this one too, and you know how that worked out in the much maligned last series of Thrones. Our houses are bound by a common cause. Perhaps. But there will be blood. Meanwhile, Hovering in the Wings is another fantasy epic that promises to be even bigger than House of the Dragon. It's Amazon's gigantic Lord of the Rings spin-off. And Rings of Power is another series that defeated the best efforts of its original author, J.R.R. Tolkien. There was a time when the world was so young. There had not yet been a sunrise. Even then, there was light. Poor old Tolkien invested decades trying to get some sort of narrative out of all his bits of Middle-earth backstory. Finally, he gave up and left his descendants to turn it into the impenetrable Silmarillion. But whatever happens, you can't deny Rings of Power also thinks big. You have fought long enough, Galadriel. Put up your sword. The enemy is still out there. The question now is where? And the same goes for the Netflix adaptation of Neil Gaiman's Sandman comic books. Now, in comic circles, this is meant to be the ultimate challenge, a story about stories, dreams, gods, magic, and I don't know what else. Very English, incidentally, and nothing like anything else around. Your waking world is shaped by dreams. 
dreams and nightmares that I create and which I must control. Equal parts video game, Greek mythology and the poetry of William Blake, maybe. But whenever you think of these shows, their producers and audiences are prepared to at least try something new and ambitious. And right now the cinemas seem to be full of the complete opposite of that. Probably the thing that I recognised is the way that he treated people that didn't agree. You know, if people disagree, there's the shouting, there's the yelling, there's the put-downs, there's the personal abuse, and it had just become very rule-based, very regimented. Yes, it's another visit to New Zealand cult commune Gloria Vale. I've lost count of how many TV exposés of the place there have been. But I understand the distinction of the Australia-New Zealand co-production simply called Gloria Vale is it's the first time it's been told on the big screen. Whether this is enough remains to be seen. Also out this week, another film about the Holocaust. Though in fact the conference is a German film about the meeting that formalised what became known as the Final Solution. In fact, there have already been several versions of that story, including rather a good one starring Kenneth Branagh and Colin Firth. Consider, the Jews are taken away. The German spouses will presumably inherit the property of the Jewish spouses, go to court, a death certificate will be applied for, and, and what happens to your secret killings then? No matter what you call them. The secret is out, dear friends. And speaking of twice-told tales, what about London fashion in the swinging 60s? His clothes are loud. What a new documentary shies away from the usual music and political upheavals in favour of the frocks and the woman who personified the 60s when they were fun and a bit silly. Her name was and is Mary Quant. And then let's not forget the models. It was a time when black models were not used in magazines. Mary literally put these models out there. This amazing British woman with this sense of freedom and innovation created a global look. Well, like all the films this week, Quant is aimed at people who already know the story and presumably want to hear it again. Cults, in other words, which leads us to one called Gloria Vale. I don't know any other way of describing it, but it's a cult. It was like a dream, the start of Gloria Vale. Gloria Vale, directed by Australian Noel Smythe and New Zealander Fergus Grady, struggles to find an angle to the story we haven't heard repeatedly over the years. The Gloria Vale community is an exclusive Christian cult founded on the west coast of the South Island by an Australian who called himself Hopeful Christian. They say, oh, this is all about family life and community. No, it's not. But like most such groups, Gloria Vale is extremely hierarchical. The leaders, calling themselves shepherds, rule with an iron grip. Everyone does what they're told. In the case of women, that means work every waking moment and have lots of babies. They were happy, carefree days. I never thought for a moment I was being used as a slave. 
The film Gloria Vale centres on a man who was essentially banned from the group, John Reddy, and his subsequent struggle to get his family out of there. His story inspires a group of Christchurch lawyers to take Gloria Vale to court on the charges of, among other things, slavery. Here's a community of 600 people where the women are living in servitude. And they haven't chosen it. They're born into it. Unless someone steps up for them, they're never going to have a chance. We meet other people who managed to get out, including John's sister Virginia and, interestingly, a renegade shepherd called Zion. Over the years, more than a hundred people have managed to break away from Gloria Vale. And over the years, I've heard this story, or variations on it, many times on TV. Everything at Gloria Vale was about continuing the life that became God, run by the leadership. The documentary picks up on the legal case brought by John Reddy against the Shepherds, which is occasionally hard to follow. The case has been going for years and is still unresolved. One thing this film does offer is home movies of life in Gloria Vale. They look like outtakes of an old western. Women in navy blue pinafores and bonnets, surrounded by dozens and dozens of kids, all under the watchful eyes of the leaders. Every single respect that I had in him just went out. Someone has to do something. Only when someone takes in a secret device to record a meeting with the shepherds does the iron fist in the gingham glove show itself. They sound like figures from a fundamentalist church of 200 years ago, which... I suppose in many ways they are. When in doubt, particularly doubt over whether women are allowed to say anything, the Old Testament is regularly pressed into service. This has just been an unending revelation. It's going to come back. It's going to come back to be a door. It's just something that I can't, as a human being, walk away from. Generally, most previous attacks on places like Gloria Vale tend to take a predictable anti-fundamentalist Christian slant. But it's interesting that this film isn't quite as, well, fundamentalist. Smythe and Grady's last film was a Christian-friendly documentary about elderly pilgrims called Camino Skies. And one of the key figures in this film is John and Virginia's mother, Sharon, who's still a member of Gloria Vale. They just stay and just keep praying. God's going to make it all right. It's actually people that are going to change it. So the criticism isn't that Gloria Vale is some kind of fundamentalist cult dedicated to antique dogma, so much as that it needs to be reconfigured in a more open-minded way. Good luck with that. My own criticism of Gloria Vale is it didn't tell me much I hadn't heard before and didn't answer the one question I went in with. What were these people looking for? And I suppose, what did they expect? You can't just keep cutting off the tail. We have to cut the heat off the snake to kill it. When I saw they'd made a film about the Wannsee Conference, the meeting of various top Nazi officials in early 1942, to essentially plan and rubber stamp the Holocaust, I had mixed feelings. On the one hand, I had to assume that it would be gruelling and depressing. The unhappy ending was well enough known, after all. On the other hand, it seemed to offer a fresh angle on a familiar event. 
Well, the conference was certainly depressing, but it was also by no means the first time the story had been told. Aside from several documentaries, there was a German TV movie in the 80s and a 2002 English-language film called Conspiracy that won Emmys for stars Kenneth Branagh and Stanley Tucci. Interesting. That was Kritzinger's warning. What? That we should not hate the Israelites? No, that it should not so fill our lives that when they are gone, we have nothing left to live for. Also present was Colin Firth and a very young Tom Hiddleston. So what I'm saying is the conference isn't exactly breaking new ground. Like previous versions, it's based on the copious minutes kept by the secretarial staff led by the notorious Adolf Eichmann. Einige Herren, die Sie gleich da draußen kennenlernen werden, sind nicht aus demselben Holz wie wir. The rest of the conference is made up of men from various sectors of the Nazi administration, including lawyers, SS members and senior officers of the armed forces brought in from all over the new German Empire, particularly from Eastern Europe. Der Obergruppenführer ist ein ehrgeiziger Mann. Die Gesamtlösung der Judenfrage ist nämlich genau das, die Endlösung der Judenfrage. If you don't know how the Nazi bureaucracy worked, it's an object lesson in ruthlessness. But this group, summoned by Heinrich Himmler's right-hand man in the SS, Reinhard Heydrich, had one specific purpose, to solve the so-called Jewish question. Die Herren sollen ruhig wissen, woran sie sich beteiligen. Das schließt die Reihen. Ich verstehe. Eine Frage der Dosierung. Eine Frage der Dosierung. Incidentally, there was no debate about whether there was a Jewish question. This was simply a matter of ways and means, what Heydrich referred to as a question of dimensions. In short, how would they go about it, and how big was the task set for them by Adolf Hitler? That at least was simple. There were around 11 million Jews in Europe. Und wie groß sind die großen Maßnahmen? Wir reden über 11 Millionen. The solution, hidden in official legalese, was to eliminate as many as they could. They called it special treatment, though there were technical issues raised about how soon they could go about it and who exactly counted as Jewish. There was also some concern over using gas. It seemed some World War I veterans didn't like it. It stirred up too many unpleasant memories. Das heißt, fragen Sie den nächstbesten Juden, er kennt die Antwort. And one thing we tend to forget when taking the moral high ground over the Nazis is how prevalent anti-Semitism was outside Germany at the time. It's an uncomfortable watch, which I suppose is a compliment to the accuracy of the conference directed by German TV veteran Matti Gashonek. Sie setzen sich nicht in Bewegung. Sie werden in Bewegung gesetzt. Aber das Schicksal hat nun mal unsere Generation ausgewählt, diese Aufgabe zu lösen. You watch these people in their immaculate suits with their respectable titles, many at the table at Vonsi were doctors, as they seriously discuss the ultimate obscenity, mass murder on an industrial scale. 
Welches andere Mittel sollte sonst diese hohen Quoten liefern? You keep waiting for one of them to protest or at least put up some sort of moral argument. When finally a couple of objections are raised, they're not the ones you'd expect or want, which makes the whole thing worse somehow. Ist durchaus bewusst, dass Sie im Osten Großes leisten. Aber bitte glauben Sie nicht, dass ich hier an meinem Schreibtisch weniger leiste, nur weil ich nicht bis zu den Knien im Judenblut warte. Hinterbrechen. At the end of the film, I did a little research. What happened to these impeccably suited monsters after the war? Was any kind of justice served? Well, you may or may not be surprised to learn, not much. A very few were executed, most famously Eichmann. Some did a little time in a comfortable jail. One, a lawyer, of course, was fined 500 marks. Friedlich. Sehr. Mary Quant is one of those names that sum up an entire era, in her case, the swinging 60s. If you were around, and many of the audience for a documentary called Quant clearly were, just the word conjured up a look. Short straight hair cut in a bob, bright vibrant colours, ultra-short miniskirts and gallons of mascara. I think the point of fashion is not to get bored with looking at somebody. The point of clothes should be, one, that you're noticed, two, that you look sexy, and three, that you feel good. Even fashion ignoramuses like your humble servant knew who Mary Quant was, but I didn't know much else about her. She seemed to represent Britain at its most fun, from around the time of A Hard Day's Night era Beatles to the 1967 Summer of Love, when hippie caftans replaced the miniskirt. Mary Quant Limited. One of the most astonishing success stories in the world of fashion. She was an innovator. She was a rule breaker. She empowered women. But of course, that's nowhere near the whole story. She certainly led the reaction against the conservative 50s, post-war Britain crippled by rationing, and also against the power of French haute couture. Back then, fashion meant wildly expensive gowns for duchesses and millionaires' wives. You know you make me want to shout. English fashion has always been notoriously rebellious. Mary Kwan turned the miniskirt into a worldwide phenomenon. I think she started the miniskirt, didn't she? Well, Quant changed all that. She made clothes for the young, the famous Chelsea girls, who in turn inspired her with what they wanted. Did she invent the miniskirt? Well, no more than the Beatles, with whom she'd be indelibly linked, invented rock and roll. But she certainly pushed that look, and her fans pushed back, driving the hem higher and higher. The whole 1960s was one massive party. For the first time, you could have sex and you didn't have to worry. Given the pill, the woman could then really be in charge of her own life. The Beatles provided the soundtrack. Mary certainly provided all the visual images. Quant tells you all you didn't know about the woman behind the famous Daisy logo, which in my case was pretty much everything. I had no idea she started her first shop on the King's Road as early as the mid-50s, or that her career went on so long and so successfully after her 60s heyday. The Beatles broke up in 1970. Mary Quant continued at the top of her game for another 30 years. The younger generation of today, I've heard them saying... Oh, I'd love to wear that now, because they are equally appealing, so they've become timeless. 
I also had no idea about the triumvirate that ran the business. There was Mary herself, who was the creative third. There was her husband, Alexander Plunkett Green, the confident frontman, and the well-connected business manager, Archie McNair. Director of Quant is the equally well-connected Sadie Frost. Better known as an actor, she's also, usefully, a fashion designer herself. She clearly knows everyone and is roped in fashionistas, old and young, to sing Mary's praises. Mary Quant was a visionary in subcontracting licenses, including this affordable and funky footwear collection, as well as tights and even makeup, creating the forerunner for what is known today as British street style. Many prefer to appear as voice only, which allowed me to think of Patty Boyd as I remember her in A Hard Day's Night. But there is a welcome appearance by the Kinks' resident, dedicated follower of fashion, Dave Davies. Youth at the time is about wearing something that old people didn't like. Oh, I can't say that I particularly approve of some of the styles. What she did was liberate those girls. As I say, it was mostly new material to me, apart from the look and the attitudes. I remember those. But one thing I loved about Mary Quant herself was that, like so many of the artists and entertainers of the era, she made it up as she went along. They all just went to art school rather than fashion school, film school or a school of rock. Mary Quant is without a doubt one of the most important British designers ever. It was fun, it was frivolous, it wasn't remotely serious about anything, apart from clothes, and Mary Quant provided those. Actually, the most shocking part of the whole film was Mary's age. She's now 92, and her full title, Dame Barbara Mary Quant, Mrs Plunkett Green. But of course, she wears it well. Which brings this show to a close. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.